This time of year, or January, specifically kicks my ass. Just never seems like enough brew, like I require coffee by intravenous, not just a multitude of coffee mugs. It definitely requires a bold brew, and we will get to Matt Boldly to be sure, but that also made me think of the January NHL grind that is required. The schedule grind of January with the Central Division teams all at or just over the season's midpoint makes it hard to keep up. It's condensed. Care for a coffee press? Yet, in the midst of the grind, you don't really have time to pause and take stock of the results for all the division teams because games keep going and going. That when we get to the needed all-star break pause and I check out and catch up on January and ignore that weekend's unimportant shenanigans, I will look back at this important stretch this month and reflect back on what will have kept teams either in the mix ahead of it or what will have taken them right out of the playoff conversation altogether. And you know what isn't a headline grabber for the clicks? While I miss the Sunday cutoff because of the condensed schedule or pick the end of Thursday night as a new cutoff for the four division top four to drop a pod today, Friday, as you listen to this at the earliest, while the division order, save for a minor flip-flop, arrives one through eight in, well, the order they pretty much have been each time a podcast does drop. A team headline, if you want one right now, is everyone nationally or outside observers, especially wondering if there's concern with the defending Stanley Cup champions, Colorado, potentially missing the playoffs. And sure, that could be a lead or clickbait, but it is for all the wrong reasons. And we have to talk about where Colorado finds themselves. The rest of January is as vital to the Avs as it is to all the teams wanting to be playoff bound. A better conversation is how not just the division has underperformed where there isn't an elite team to emerge. Not one of Dallas or Winnipeg deserve that compliment of being elite, but the top Pacific division pair also below 700 point percentage shouldn't garner that elite team tag either. At 649 point percentage, Dallas leads the Western Conference heading into Friday's action. In the stretch we cover, both Dallas lost to just over 400 point percentage San Jose and Winnipeg lost to just under 450 point percentage Montreal. That's something elite teams don't do. It was a put-any-hype-in-check point. The eventual cup winners, Colorado, a year ago, had a 726 point percentage at regular season's end. The 650 point percentage plus Western Conference teams also included Calgary, Minnesota, and St. Louis. The shortened 56 intra-division game only sked had the Colorado-Vegas pair over 700 point percentage and Minnesota over the 650 point percentage. But let's just remember how the bottom half of that mostly Pacific Division, West Division was bad and St. Louis beat out Arizona for the final playoff spot that year, almost by default, than earning it. It was a propped-up point percentage year in that division. St. Louis and Colorado were 650-point percentage teams, the lone two when the NHL had to pause play on the 2019-20 regular season. Calgary was a lone 650-point percentage-plus team in the Western Conference in 2018-19, the year St. Louis was the eventual cup winner. What conversation deserves to come first, especially in the January grind, is this fact. Not one team is over 700-point percentage in the Western Conference, and all are below 650-point percentage. The conference lacks a clear head-of-the-class elite team, to this point of the year. Meanwhile, last year's elite team, Colorado, has four games in hand on Dallas and three on Winnipeg. They are 12 points back of Dallas, 10 points back of Winnipeg, with eight points and six points in theory if they won all those games in hand on the top divisional two teams. The math at the moment is still behind with Colorado winning out, but that also isn't the required just get into the playoffs math. That's a winning the division math shortfall at present. The idea of Colorado going on a run isn't impossible. The return of Nathan McKinnon to the lineup didn't ignite it, 
but it's started to pick up steam of late. There is a point gap, and Colorado has to make up ground to actually get back into the conversation. Minnesota sits comfortably third in the Central Division, five points back of Winnipeg in second. That's within striking distance of the division top teams. However, Colorado are with one game in hand, five points back of Minnesota. Right now, the Pacific Division has five teams. The duel of Vegas-Seattle are hanging with Winnipeg, Dallas, and Minnesota. A clear at least over 600 point percentage club and Colorado has fallen out of that. Pacific Division LA is a team in that mix I wonder about as belonging as between Sunday and Thursday LA was over but now currently 0.004 point percentage shy of the 600 point percentage to be in the conversation after losing last night to Dallas. The next nearest team in the Western Conference is Pacific Division Edmonton holding the first wildcard spot, a 585 point percentage team and a point behind LA, both Pacific Division teams. And wildcard spot two is a Pacific Division team, 51 point Calgary. Therefore, Colorado and Nashville have games in hand to catch and pass Calgary, had important games, wins against them, and St. Louis is still close by points but near to the same games played as those Pacific Division teams in the wildcard spots presently. Essentially, Colorado needs to get back to where Minnesota is to be playoff bound by point percentage, and Colorado isn't there yet. They are five points back. Sure, they are two points back at Calgary with games in hand, but that's a cluster of teams you could still include additional teams in. Now, who of Central Division, Colorado, St. Louis, and Nashville of the teams we would include in that mix? Who is most capable of going on a run and challenging Edmonton or Calgary for those last two wildcard playoff spots? Obviously, Colorado clearly, but it's not automatic. In fact, you could on the backs of Nashville goalie UC Staros, Saros, Nashville could catch an up-and-down Edmonton or Calgary team just as likely as Colorado right now could. That's the formula to make the playoffs for how many years in a row now in Nashville? I don't think they do it this year. But I've been wrong before in my life. Back to the Central Division top three. And for as good as healthy is, Dallas has both been. I think there is a plateau here. This 650 point percentage benchmark is a reasonable point percentage for the Stars. They're pretty much only missing rope hints right now. So if that's good enough to win the division or the Western Conference, Dallas does. They aren't an elite NHL team. However, of the trio competing for the Western Conference crown, Vegas is now managing through key injuries of their own, and Seattle might be the team to push the pace over 700 point percentage by year's end. Could Winnipeg or a big push by Minnesota of the Central Division teams have either of those teams get above that? Winnipeg kept near to the top through injuries, but now that, like honestly, a line worth of top six Winnipeg players have returned of the forwards, the Jets' results have them near nodded to where Dallas is, not rising above it. Winnipeg isn't an elite team because we have seen with Winnipeg at the moment they get that moment blip atop the division while near to even with Dallas this year. They always get a setback that allows Dallas back into top spot. Now, if Dallas pushes itself to be an over 700 point percentage team or Winnipeg or Minnesota are able to, that's where a healthy Vegas or Seattle and the Western Conference title comes into play. But right now, as we skate to the All-Star break and the grind of January, these results will position what is to be clear, three Central Division teams above the playoff cutoff, and that opportunity if a team were to go and push to elevate it to a Western Conference title. The big in-division story is at the beginning of this year, the currently third wild is a lone division team I expected from my predictions to most be flirting with that 700 point percentage. Two seasons of 600 point percentage plus as a basis, Minnesota might take a step upward. Winnipeg and Dallas were placed lower than Colorado and St. Louis in a lot of predictions mine included. That's the big in-division story. The one getting less play is that it's five Pacific Division teams 
occupying Western Conference playoff spots and the Central Division trio. Last year, it was five Central teams in the playoffs, three Pacific Division teams. In each of the Central Division markets outside looking in presently, Colorado, St. Louis, and Nashville were assured by their GMs to be playoff-bound teams. That's what they told their fans. And not only aren't they, it's as January rolls along, how far out of the conversation even keeping pace with flawed but finding ways to get by Alberta Pacific Division teams, Edmonton and Calgary, who hold those spots. And those are really the only pair that Central Division trio needs to catch. But all three of them still have to do it, and only two can make the playoffs of that group. It's outright disappointing to be saying for all of Colorado, St. Louis, and Nashville. Of course, most disappointing for the defending champs because they have two previous 700-point percentage regular seasons prior and a cup win and an over 650-point percentage the year prior to those two over 700. These January games matter for positioning because it's a quick, short month February after the All-Star break and then trade deadline beginning March. You have to know where you're at. And based on the last podcast and the second part with the new two cutoff dates, we're thinking, yeah, well, St. Louis and Nashville moved ahead of Colorado for a moment. They did. But if you look at the missed Sunday cutoff that I was going to use, now delayed to Thursday, and the Central Division order looks near identical, and that top four group in the Central Division is the same teams. Again, with Colorado sitting fourth. If you don't make up ground in the January grind, there isn't post-All-Star break all that much time left to do it. And just realize how settled and static standings-wise, all in all, the Central Division is. Why predicting this changes much, if at all, isn't really a thing when, more likely, it doesn't happen. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. As I stick with a two fourteen podcast and two cutoffs this week, remember the Central Division has its three in-division playoff teams, Winnipeg, Dallas, and Minnesota, like we talked off the top. We again add Colorado as a fourth-place team as the closest current non-playoff team at Thursday's cutoff for this Friday podcast. By Thursday, Dallas had sole possession of first in the Central Division and Western Conference in points and point percentage with two points more in one more game played than Winnipeg, again, while having by points percentage the lowest point percentage total compared to the past four NHL seasons for Western Conference teams at season's end. However, there is a point gap for Dallas and Winnipeg slightly on third spot Minnesota, and more so especially the Division 3 below, that with a flawed NHL point system will take a lot to overcome. It is almost as if Dallas and Winnipeg, who don't play each other again this year, need to push each other to be better atop of the division, or Minnesota force both those teams to be better the primary game recap is always put win or lose in the pod with the division team with the better record the top pairing remains dallas and winnipeg and dallas continue as the division and now western conference pace car dallas went three two and one since we last checked in now 27 13 761 points to stay first in the central division in 47 games played two points in one more game played than winnipeg seven points up on minnesota the wild with three games in hand western conference wise dallas is also three points up on pacific division leading seattle the kraken have two games in hand dallas is jason robertson's team leading 29th of the year at the time driving to the slot goal tuck open scoring 342 into the first till the new york islanders tie it 339 past the first midpoint net front on the power play 
1-0 after one. The score stays that way through the middle frame. Into the third, where Dallas's Wyatt Johnson's wraparound has the Stars' best chance, and the five-minute OT session solves nothing, and it's Dallas's Robertson's lone shootout goal that gives Dallas a 2-1 shootout road win over the Isles. Scoreless first between Dallas in MSG versus the Rangers. Dallas's Tyler Sagan's power play goal with 2.07 left in the second as he collects a misfire by Mason Marchman in the slot and goes glove side shelf to give Dallas a 1-0 lead through the middle frame. Dallas's Miro Haskinen's net side backhander goes off the far side post minutes into the third as Dallas failed to add insurance. Costly as the New York Rangers 6 on 5 force OT by scoring with one second left after the initial point shot block by Dallas forward Luke Glendening. The second effort blast gets through in the third. Into overtime, 116 in, the Blue Shirts net the backhander overtime game-winning goal after two big saves and pressure net front on Dallas goalie Jake Oninger as Dallas get handed a shocking 2-1 OT road loss by the New York Rangers. 25 seconds into the first Calgary Open scoring, top of the paint backhander, and at a power play rebound goal, a minute 50 seconds to the first midpoint. Dallas's Jamie Benn shorthanded net front goal with 426 left after a tied Delantria steal on the PK forecheck makes it 2-1 Calgary after one. A Calgary power play goal through a screen 54 seconds past the game's midpoint sparks a four in a row middle frame. Former Av now Flames Nazem Kadri's goal is reviewed and upheld. Two point shot goals by Calgary D in a stretch for the Flames that Dallas's Tyler Sagan with 46 seconds left in the second from the slot goes roof glove for a goal to dampen the Flames with a 6-2 lead through 40 minutes. Dallas's Joe Pavelski gets a pair of goals, 7-19 into the third net front as Calgary goalie Dan Vladar knocks the net off the mooring, but the goal is rightfully allowed. And 2.54 past the third's midpoint, a high slot tip of a Miro Haskinen point shot off the cycle. Dallas D-man Colin Miller's point shot wired with 4.37 to go makes it a one-goal game, but Dallas falls short in a 6-5 home loss. Dallas, Jamie Benn, open scorings 5.45 into the first off of a Vegas defensive zone turnover and buries it from the high slot for a Dallas 1-0 lead after one. Two minutes, 28 seconds past the game's midpoint, Dallas's Yoel Kiviranta's point shot on the blue line off Vegas defenders in traffic puts Dallas up 2-0 through 40. Dallas's Ryan Suter's point shot wrister for his first goal of the year, 7.51 into the third, goes in off former Blue Vegas defenseman Alex Petrangelo, net front, and a Tyler Sagan empty net goal tap with 44 seconds left give Dallas a 4-0 road win in Vegas. Dallas goalie Jake Ottinger makes 27 saves for his third shutout this season as Dallas head coach Pete DeBoer returns to Vegas for the first time since since being let go in the offseason by the Knights and becoming the head coach of the Stars. Dallas's Ty Delandria off the rush from the dot short side goal 643 into the first has Dallas up 1-0 after one. Dallas's Jason Robertson's 30th goal of the year. Roof glove after using his own glove to get it to his stick off the cycle adds to the lead. 3.54 into the second, and three minutes, three seconds after Dallas's Radic Faxa's goal, a net front pass that goes in off a of San Jose player's skate, has Dallas up by three. San Jose respond just 19 seconds to the game's midpoint. The first zone entry after a failed power play, getting their first of three in the middle frame to tie the game up. Former Nashville and Minnesota now Shark Nick Bonino net front and a power play goal off Dallas defenseman Yanni Hockenpah's stick net front. Three all through 40. 41 seconds past the thirds midpoint. San Jose take the lead short side from the cycle and add an empty net goal just over the center ice line with 36 seconds left as Dallas fall 5-3, giving up five unanswered on the road to lose in San Jose. Dallas's Tyler Sagan's first of two goals, 6.54 in, open scoring from distance off the rush, off the blocker and in. 
Sagan second with 240 left. Roof, blocker side, off the cycle. Dallas isn't done as a minute 24 seconds after. Essa Lindell's off the rush. Goal, bar down, high slot, blocker side. Makes it 3-0 Dallas after one. Dallas's Jason Robertson's team leading 31st goal. 7:27 into the middle frame on a wraparound rebound where he lifts it up and in. The lone goal of the second to put Dallas up four and ends L.A. goalie Phoenix Copley's night. The 31-year-old credited for turning around L.A.'s season to this point did not have anything close to a good backstopping effort, especially to the high blocker side, allowing four goals against with 13 saves. A scoreless third follows. Dallas goalie Scott Wedgwood was brilliant between the pipes, making 34 saves for his first shutout this year, a bounce-back effort after allowing six goals against versus Calgary, also covered in this pod. Dallas went on the road 4 to nothing in L.A. on the second game of the back-to-back. Top-line center Rope Hintz has not played during the six games we covered with an upper-body injury. In 40 games played, Hintz, who also recently signed his $8.45 million per extension for next year, has 44 points. Last year, Hintz only missed two games played while scoring 37 goals, but career-wise otherwise, he usually misses time due to injuries during the regular season. The beneficiary of Hintz's injury is vet center Tyler Sagan, who has slotted up in the lineup. Five goals, three assists in six games played, and was only held pointless versus San Jose. That has Sagan up to 14 goals for the season, tied for fourth on the team with Joe Pavelski. Goal team leader Jason Robertson continues to produce one of seven NHL players now to have already reached 30 goals, equal to divisionally Colorado forward Miko Rantanen sharing a fourth spot rank. Robo has more points. Rantanen's team Colorado has played fewer games. Five Dallas Stars are in double-digit goals, and forward Mason Marchman is a goal away from joining that list, although he should have reached it a while ago, because Marchman's last goal was December 19th versus New Jersey. He's gone 17-game stretch where he hasn't scored. Defenseman Ryan Suter's first goal ended the dubious distinction of him being the lone D6 group regular, not with one. Suter also has 12 assists this year. And maybe, if possible, bottom six forward Yoel Kiviranta, who has six goals and no assists this year, likely can reach double digits. But he would have to double his goal production in the second half to get close to 20 goals. And I, for one, if he could get a 20-goal campaign while not picking up an assist, would find that a statistical candy treat. Apples are too healthy anyways. Robertson ends up Dallas's lone all-star rep in the NHL's flawed all-star selection. That will leave out goalie Jake Oninger, notably. However, based on prior to January 20th games played, Money Puck had Otter third divisionally in goal saved above expected, fifth overall in the NHL, but not all-star worthy. Interestingly, Winnipeg's Connor Hellebuck was ranked fourth, and Nashville's UC Soros was ranked third in that valuable stat. They both are going. Still, it's too bad the Central Division couldn't loan goalies to, say, the Pacific Division All-Star team, as there are five Central Division goalies in the NHL Top 10 in goals saved above expected right now, and the highest-ranked Pacific Division goalie appears at spot 27. And you will be absolutely surprised who it is. Former Chicago mostly minor leaguer, but due to injury, Vancouver goalie Colin Delia. Three Central Division backups, including Dallas goalie Scott Wedgwood, have better goal saved above expected stats than any Pacific Division goalie this year does to this point. Dallas division head-to-head record is 8-2-3. Dallas is back home for a division game versus Arizona Saturday and play three more at home before the All-Star break. Monday versus Buffalo, Wednesday versus Carolina, and Friday versus New Jersey. Winnipeg goes 3-3-0 since her last look. 29-16, 159 points, second in the Central Division in 46 games played, a current two-game losing streak. 641 point percentage with one game in hand on Dallas and are two points back at Dallas and five points up of Minnesota, the Wild, with two games in hand on Winnipeg. 
Winnipeg spots Detroit three in the first, bookended by former St. Louis Blues Jake Wallman's goal from the point to the high slot, 116 into the first, and Oscar Sundquist with 432 left in the slot as a Detroit power play ends before Winnipeg's Neil Pionk's point shot goal through traffic with 243 to go makes it 3-1 Detroit after one. Detroit book ends a combined four-goal second frame with former Blackhawk Dominique Kubelik's two-on-one goal, 2.57 in. Winnipeg's former wing Sam Gagne's goal, 14 seconds to the game's midpoint at the top of the paint, and defenseman Nate Schmidt's deep inch to the slot, 2.08 past it for a goal. Yet a Detroit power play goal five and a half minutes after makes it five through Detroit through 40. Winnipeg's Nick Ehlers takes 33 seconds to score in the third on a two-on-one keep five hole. Detroit barely a minute later able to respond. Winnipeg's Mark Shifley on the power play rebound off the post goal with 5.05 left before a Detroit empty net goal with 120 for a Detroit home 7-5 win. Detroit goalie former Blue Billy Husso, five goals against, 32 saves, while Michigan-born Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck is tagged for six goals against with only 16 saves. Winnipeg defenseman Dylan Sandberg from the top of the circle sidewall through traffic open, scoring 635 into the game for a Winnipeg 1-0 lead after one. Buffalo tie it 2-0-2 past the game's midpoint as the power play expires. Winnipeg defenseman Josh Morrissey on a point shot through traffic. Two minutes, nine seconds later, puts Winnipeg up 2-1 through 40. 250 into the third, it's former Av and Wild Tyson Jose getting Buffalo even from the slot. Winnipeg's Kyle Connors, 241 to the third's midpoint. Game-winning breakaway backhand for a tuck goal. And Carson Kuhlman adds a last-minute empty net goal. His first as a Jet for a Winnipeg Road 4-2 win. Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbeck responds with two goals against 39 saves in the win. Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler jams in a power play goal in the paint, 119 past the first midpoint to open scoring. Winnipeg look with 418 left to add to it on a dirty slot tip goal by Mark Shifley, but Pittsburgh use a coach's challenge for offside to take it off the scoreboard. Pittsburgh tie it at one with 318 left in the first on a two-on-one. 145 left, Winnipeg have another goal disallowed on a point shot from Neil Pionk as Pierre-Luc Dubois is parked in the blue paint and it's waved off for goalie interference. Winnipeg lose a coach's challenge as the review is upheld 1-0 after 1. Winnipeg Shifley with 2.02 to go in the middle frame scores off the rush net front. 22 seconds after Winnipeg's Nick Ehlers goal off the rush far side over the glove from the circle makes it 3-1 Winnipeg through 40. 6.39 to the third. It's Winnipeg Shifley second of the game, team leading 26 of the year at the time. Net side one-timer is Cole Perfettius hauled down, no call on the zone entry. Still keeps possession to get it to Dylan DeMello to Shife. That is the lone goal of the third as Winnipeg take a 4-1 road win in the second game of the back-to-back. After a scoreless first where Arizona goalie Corral Vamelka makes 12 saves to Arizona's four shots on goal to keep it even, Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois' 20th of the year net front tip of a Josh Morrissey point shot 37 seconds into the second open scoring as Winnipeg bookend goals in the middle frame. Arizona's Clayton Keller a minute two seconds past the game's midpoint ties it as Arizona gain a zone entry and Keller the trailer moves to the slot to the net side and awaits Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbach to score. It's tied until Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler's goal from the slot that is beautifully set up by line mates Mark Shifley and Cole Perfetti's passing prior to it that gives Winnipeg a 2-1 lead with 3.15 left in the second. No scoring in the third. That included Arizona's Josh Brown's short side post and Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois' far side post as Winnipeg wins at home over division Arizona 2-1. Scoreless first, Winnipeg get a Kyle Connor one-timer from the circle power play goal, 124 in. Montreal tie it two minutes, 14 seconds to the game's midpoint as Winnipeg gets stuck in the defensive zone. And Montreal score three goals in a five-minute, 46 span, far side off the rush, and a juicy net side rebound goal to be up 3-1 through 40. Montreal, even with a depleted due to injury lineup, add the lone goal of the third, 419 in as a wraparound attempt rebound in the paint is put away as Winnipeg fall 4-1 on the road to Montreal. Scoreless first and Winnipeg scores a 5-on-3 Kyle Connor power play goal one-timer four minutes into the third. 
However, for some reason, it seems the remainder of the footage out of Ontario, due to fog and stormy weather, was unviewable. However, according to Bally's ticker of the divisional game between St. Louis and Nashville, it turns out Winnipeg fell 4-1 to on the road in the Ontario market that doesn't have its arena located in Canada. Winnipeg doesn't have a 30-goal getter like division rival Dallas and Colorado do yet. However, Winnipeg can boast being the only division team with three 20-goal getters so far. Mark Scheifele's team-leading 26 is joined now by point team leader Kyle Connor with 23 goals and Pierre-Luc Dubois with 20. Since being put together a year ago, the duel of Dubois and KC has absolutely produced. KC missed 50 goals by three, netting 47 a year ago, while Dubois had a career-high 28. Dubois now has his fourth 20-plus goal campaign, two in Winnipeg and two with Columbus prior. Since 2017-18, KC is three away from his lowest 26-goal campaign. That was during the 56-game shortened season, meaning he's a 30-plus goal getter every year except last, where he was a 40-plus nearer to 50-goal getter. KC's just over $7.1 million per has three years left after this year. When you consider Dallas's Jason Robertson's $7.75 million per is a team-friendly deal. Likewise, KC's was when he signed it, and it is now. Dubois is on a one-year $6 million per and a restricted free agent this upcoming offseason before potentially his first shot as an unrestricted free agent the summer after. Dubois does look content to test the open market and also last summer via his agent talked openly about playing in his hometown Montreal before signing the one-year restricted free agent deal with Winnipeg. The Montreal game wasn't good for anyone as far as Winnipeg players go but nor for Dubois but only PLD had Sportsnet's Montreal reporter Eric Engels clickbait day of the game headliner is this Dubois' last game in Montreal on a visiting team, to paraphrase it loosely. Winnipeg's been here before with D now New York Ranger Jacob Truba and GM Kevin Shovel Dayoff held on to Truba till the last moment as a restricted free agent and got a return and not have Truba walk right to unrestricted free agent and get a Chicago GM Kyle Davidson nothing return, Dylan Strom. Dom Kubalik, anyone? It's not that PLD ruled out of staying in Winnipeg, nor at 24 does signing a long-term deal rule out playing in Montreal. What is clear is Winnipeg wants to keep him, and PLD also likes the idea of testing his ever-increasing value as an unrestricted free agent. However, being on a winning team with a line mate destined to find his way to 50 goals while every year minimally flirting with it does have value for Dubois' stat line. Maybe PLD could do it with CC Cole Caulfield in Montreal. Maybe he wants to stay with Kyle Connor. By points per game at 1.30, it is the returned from injury Nick Ehlers, 13 points in 10 games played, that leads Winnipeg's team in points per game. If he stays healthy for the second half of the regular season, it is another dynamic offensive weapon Winnipeg didn't have the first half. Winnipeg is still without injured top nine forward Mason Appleton Wrist of everyday regulars. Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbuck was added to the All-Star game, as I mentioned previous in the pod. It's almost a nod to Winnipeg new coach Rick Bonus's job, although I should mention it will be Dallas new head coach Pete DeBoer representing the division behind the bench. Still, Dallas's NHL top five scorer goes to the All-Star game with a coach brought in to Dallas to find more offense. Winnipeg's All-Star game selections their former Vesna winner, and in this year's Convo 4 goalie Connor Halbeck and defenseman Josh Morrissey. Pretty apt as Winnipeg brought in a coach to give attention to the defensive side of the puck. Winnipeg's division head-to-head record 12-3-0. Winnipeg continues on the road Saturday in Ottawa and Sunday in Philly on a back-to-back. Finish with a division game in Nashville Tuesday. They return home for three before the All-Star break, playing Buffalo Thursday, Philadelphia Saturday, and a division game versus St. Louis Monday to finish off. Pacific division comparable to pairing. 
Seattle and Vegas. Seattle and Vegas, 58 points are identical. What isn't equal is the games played. Seattle played one fewer, 45 to Vegas's 46 in the Pacific Division. That's why headed into Friday night's action, Seattle slotted first, not Vegas. It also has to do with Vegas's three-game losing streak as well as four of their last five games being losses. Meanwhile, Seattle is 9-2-0 in the month of January, had an eight-game win streak, recently broken, pair of losses, another win. By points percentage, the Western Conference would slot Dallas, Seattle, Winnipeg, Vegas. Seattle plays Central Division Colorado before the All-Star break. Vegas is in Central Division Arizona before the All-Star break. The second pairing is Minnesota and Colorado, but Minnesota is a team of them currently above 600 point percentage. Maybe what is a good thing is that Colorado is heating up, and I'm sure Wild fans are asking how that is good for Minnesota. Hear me out. That push from behind also challenges the security of third spot Minnesota, and they've been enjoying that while Minnesota still hasn't bridged the ground to be right with both Dallas and Winnipeg. Truth is, that's where Minnesota and likewise Colorado expected to be at the season's start. If Colorado does bridge the point gap to become nearer to Minnesota, then Minnesota will absolutely want to continue to be in the top three mix in the Central Division, and there isn't a reason they shouldn't be. It might put some urgency on Minnesota that might put some on Winnipeg and Dallas, and that in turn makes all of the teams attempt to put together a better push for the playoffs. However, even if you were predicting Colorado did catch Minnesota without Dallas or Winnipeg falling out, I'm not really convinced Minnesota would be in jeopardy of falling out of a wild card playoff spot. Minnesota's five points up on Colorado, remember. They also have a better point percentage than the Pacific Division's third place Team LA, and therefore any potential wild card hopeful is also below them. Minnesota is more positioned to challenge for the division title than they are to fall out, and a Colorado team charging to catch them could also keep them focused on how to stay ahead, and that's by winning. Minnesota 3-1-1 since our last pod continue to be comfortably third in the Central Division. 25, 15, 4, 54 points in 44 games played. A 6-14 point percentage division ranked third best. Minnesota with two games in hand are five points back of Winnipeg for second. Minnesota behind first place Dallas with three games in hand by seven points. Minnesota's John Merrill from the sidewall, far side goal through traffic, 2 minutes 36 seconds past the first midpoint, open scoring. With 2.17 left, Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's off the rush, short side roof goal, puts Minnesota up 2 to nothing after 1. 2.37 into the middle frame, the New York Rangers cut the lead on a breakaway goal and a 4-on-4, 2-on-1 keep goal with 4.10 to go in the second to have it tied at 2 all through two. Minnesota retake the lead 433 into the third on Matt Zuccarello's off the rush goal off the New York Rangers goalie's glove and in. The New York Rangers tie it back up on a net front scramble top a pink goal with 625 left in the third to force overtime. Scoreless five minute OT and the Rangers take the shootout to hand Minnesota a 4-3 shootout road loss. The New York Islanders open scoring far side from the point off the cycle with 3.11 to go in the first for a 1-0 lead after one. That remained that way through the middle scoreless frame. Minnesota's Frederick Goudreau's 2-on-1 short side, shorthanded goal with Joe Eriksson at 55 seconds past the third's midpoint evens the score. It requires review as the puck inside of New York Islander goalie Ilya Sorokin's glove goes fully into the net and can be seen in the net for a good goal. Minnesota Sam Steele's short side roof goal on a forced New York Islander defensive zone turnover a minute 33 seconds after gives Minnesota the lead for the first time in the back half of the third. Minnesota's Marcus Foligno's goal with 3.11 left does not count as he drives the net and pushes the puck on the rebound and the Isles goalies pad into the net and it's immediately waved off for goalie interference. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's empty net goal from the New York Islander blue line with 1.12 left finishes off a Minnesota 3-1 road win over the Isles. 
Scoreless first between Arizona and Minnesota, 21 seconds into the game's midpoint. Minnesota's Matt Zuccarello's 5-on-3 net front top of paint tip power play goal open scoring. 51 seconds after Minnesota's Frederick Goudreau's net front goal, just as the Minnesota power play expires at 5-on-4, is set up by Ryan Hartman throwing it into the crease as he goes below the goal line. That puts Minnesota ahead 2-0 through 40. Arizona's Lawson Krause wires a rebound goal in off Minnesota goalie Mark andre Fleury's mask, 5.42 into the third. That's the lone goal of the final stanza. Three seconds to the third's midpoint. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov looks to get a roof glove goal for his 100th career goal, but it comes back for offside. Minnesota win 2-1 at home over Divisional Arizona. Washington open scoring four on four glove side on a give and go with a minute three seconds left in the first for a one nothing lead after one. Minnesota's Jarrett Spurgeon bookends the middle frame scoring. Spurgeon's first of the game, a point shot through traffic short side 50 seconds into the second. Washington respond 505 in with a tic tac net front tip roof goal by former Blackhawk and Yote Dylan Strome. Another Minnesota D, Jonas Brodeen's first of the year as he circles on the cycle, goes short side through a net front screen, 312 past the game's midpoint, and Spurgeon's second goal of the game, a point pass put far side through net front traffic, comes with 145 left for a 3-2 Minnesota lead through 40. Minnesota's Joel Erickson X, self, defensive zone exit pass, brings him for an empty net goal the lone third period tally with 54 seconds left minnesota 4-2 road win after a scoreless first where minnesota take three penalties and by the third one also are tagged with a 10-minute misconduct served by ryan hartman for voicing their displeasure to the calls 7-11 into the second minnesota's curl caprice off open scoring power play roof rebound goal after matt zuccarello in close chance creates it carolina two seconds less than two minutes later get their first of three middle frame goals as minnesota goalie mark andre Fleury plays without his stick and carolina driving the net tie the game 333 past the game's midpoint a power play point shot put short side through traffic and a far side shorty on a three on two with 248 left have carolina up three to one through 40 Carolina scored 213 from distance into the third through traffic and at another three minutes, 14 seconds later on a power play. Minnesota's Matt Boldy's breakaway backhander under the pad goal with Carolina top defenseman Jacob Slavin draped over him. Six seconds shy of two minutes later, created on a cross ice defensive zone pass from ryan hartman 827 left carolina's andre sveshnikov is rightfully tossed as he cross checks minnesota brandon duhame high to the head from behind into the boards that gets him 510 in a game misconduct but minnesota is unable to capitalize on the extended late advantage minnesota fall in a penalty filled 5-2 road loss on Monday, Minnesota announced restricted free agent forward Matt Boldy's contract extension. He was in the final year of his entry-level contract 880K deal. The 21-year-old signed a seven-year, $7 million per deal. Boldy is fourth in team goal scoring with 13 goals and in points with 30 in 44 games played. Boldy, in his 47-game-played rookie campaign, had 15 goals, 39 points. It shows that even with linemate Kevin Fiala's departure, while Boldy has slightly less assists, his goal production is near to the same pace as his rookie campaign. Minnesota GM Bill Gurren and head coach Dean Evison used the word cornerstone player to describe Boldy. I always generally tag a team's legitimate top d-man using that phrase but a goalie or forward can fit that descriptor i noticed in matt zuccarello's injury absence that it was boldy who slotted up the lineup with Kaprizov on the wings and those two while not the magic of zuccarello and and Kaprizov, who are off the charts together boldy does 
have chemistry to find success when he's with Kaprizov. However, I think Zuccarello is demonstrating he's still got game, and if Minnesota can retain him beyond next season, and he, like, for example, Joe Pavelski in Dallas, takes a 35-year-old-plus player pay cut to stay in Minnesota, Boldy with Kaprizov isn't something Minnesota does likewise when Boldy's extension kicks in early on. It's also $2 million under the higher-paid superstar Kaprizov, but also near to $2 million more than Minnesota's best two-way center, Joel Erickson X, $5.25 million per deal. Things about Boldy's deal. The top nine forward line distribution in Minnesota under coach Evison is one of the better distributed ones. That there is enough time on ice to go around and a matchup advantage keeping Boldy like this year with return from injury Ryan Hartman and Zuccarello and Kaprizov as a pair while having the grief line. Kaprizov's the team leader with 26 goals, and Zuccarello's 18 goals is second. Minnesota has three other players now in double digits, likely 20-plus goal getters by season's end. Erickson Eck with 15 from the grief line, Boldy with 13, and Frederick Goudreau with 11 goals on another line altogether. Minnesota under Everson has goal scoring by committee. That's the model. And Boldy's ability to score is a requirement for Minnesota to have success. And early returns suggest, as GM Gurren feels, Boldy will provide that. 25 to 30 goals per year, and this will be a good contract. And that's attainable. If during his prime years, Boldy is a 35-40 goal getter, it's a great value contract for Minnesota. As crazy rough Minnesota versus Carolina's last game was, Felt like a division game, except the teams aren't in the same conference, let alone division. Before the puck drop, Minnesota announced defenseman Matt Dumba would be a healthy scratch. By the way, the game Dumba plays has an edge that actually was an element versus Carolina. Minnesota wouldn't have minded having more of because it would have been a value with how that game went. Vet defenseman Alex Goligoski was able to slot in his place. Goligoski hasn't played since January 8th versus St. Louis and has only played 18 games played of the team's 44 so far. Before we focus on Dumba prior to it, word was Goligoski was not happy with his lack of opportunity to play this year. Goligoski doesn't want to be the 7th D in waiting, and while he may not be his premier top four value, he is a luxury when not getting dressed as a bottom pair guy. But who comes out of this Minnesota D group to make that happen? Instantly, the Dumba healthy scratch begged the question if he was being held out at the request of a team ready to trade for him. Because that is one reason a player is held out. Dumba also had said that GM Gurren had kept him updated as the pending unrestricted free agent D-man with a $6 million per price tag. Being resigned seems as challenging as Fiala, who wasn't a year ago, would be. Performance and off-sighted was the blue line play in the Washington game prior that Dumbo was beat on for a Lars Eller breakaway that was stopped. As why Dumbo was coming out, just think the full part of the scratch is the Goligoski situation and a coach's decision that Dumba's play wasn't as good as it can be of late. The other part is, Minnesota is still trying to win. If Dumba was a player piece in a hockey trade deal, Minnesota might want to see what the D group looked like without him. And if that's the case, it's another reason to scratch him. Remember, GM Curran is a guy who will move ahead of the deadline in making deals. He did dealing Jason Zucker to Pittsburgh. That's an example. And keep that Pittsburgh team in mind. The healthy scratch also doesn't improve Dumba's trade value. So there's the counter argument. However, Vancouver center Bo Harvat trade has heated up, according to the NHL insiders. Vancouver definitely needs to improve its defense. 
The money if Dumbo went to Vancouver for Horvat, both unrestricted free agents, is a positive 500k for Minnesota because Horvat makes less and doesn't require Minnesota going into their current cap space. And reminder, Vancouver GM is Patrick LV now, and he and Gurren have a built relationship from their respective time in Pittsburgh. You know what else Minnesota has right now? A star-studded draft D-group cupboard of D-prospects. Probably the NHL's best. Minnesota is in a good asset position, even not moving Dumba. But word is that Vancouver sounds like it wants playable returns, not futures, in trade deals this year. Minnesota's division head-to-head record is 8-4-0. Minnesota finished out their four-game road trip with two more Saturday in Florida and Tuesday in Tampa Bay. Minnesota returned home to host Philly Thursday and Buffalo next Saturday to get them to the All-Star break. It's Saturday afternoon. I've just edited the Minnesota segment, and though everything in this podcast indicates Colorado's segment is to be included, I've made the decision to put up the division top three before Minnesota's early start tonight and put Colorado with St. Louis and Nashville in a second pod to be up for Sunday night or Monday, but in advance of Monday's games now and include Friday and Saturday's games for those teams. Pacific Division comparable for Minnesota then. LA is two points up as the Pacific Division third team to Minnesota by points. What is important is the games in hand Minnesota has. The Wild have three fewer played than both LA and first wild card spot Edmonton, who have one more point than Minnesota. Minnesota is up of Colorado, who are closing the gap, winning again last night. Yet, whether it would be L.A. or Edmonton slotted as the third Pacific team and the other in the wild card, Minnesota by points percentage is better than both heading into Saturday's games and would, therefore, to me, if they were caught by Colorado, be accurately the top wild card team despite having a point or two less than the Pacific Division teams and whether or not they potentially flip. Edmonton at present holding the first wildcard spot. LA's notably got two Central Division games on the horizon before the All-Star break, playing in Nashville and Chicago. Whereas Edmonton will only finish out their schedule before the All-Star break against Chicago. The priority for Minnesota is staying ahead of Colorado in the Central Division and trying to catch Dallas and Winnipeg, meaning I've just explored if the opposite were to happen. I'm not expecting it to. Thanks for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and keep an eye out for the Colorado, St. Louis, and Nashville second part pod to follow as I try to keep up to date in the grind of January.